Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, April 20th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, um, what are you doing at about 10 o'clock this morning? Uh, not sure. Why? I think whatever you're doing, you should get up and walk out. Because at 10 o'clock, the National School Walkout is happening on the 19th anniversary of the Columbine shootings, the first really well-publicized school shooting in America. And this is one of the major things that has kind of come together following the Parkland massacre in February. A walkout today, not only in you know recognition of what happened 19 years ago, but everything that's happened since. So... Students, I don't know how many we have actually listening before 10 a.m., but, you know, if you think you can do it and if you feel compelled to, might not be a bad time to take a walk about 10 o'clock in the morning. Walk out like uh, Judd Nelson in the Breakfast Club? Hand in the air, walking across the uh, the football field. Yeah, fist raised. Excellent. Hmm. All right. So first up in the news... Uh, we had some reviews for the My Fair Lady <laughs> revival. Are they loverly? Oh, honestly, James, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills reading these reviews. I honestly, we'll get to that, though. We'll, we'll get to that. But first, last night, Lincoln Center's revival of the learner and low classic My Fair Lady opened at the Vivian Beaumont Theater, directed by Bartlett Shear. The uh, musical stars Lauren Ambrose, Harry Hayden Patton, Norbert Leo Butts, Diana Rigg, Alan Cordiner, Jordan Donica, Linda Muggleston, and more. Now, these reviews are pretty darn good. In fact, I would say they're mostly great, which I'm really not super surprised by. The staging is wonderful. The sets are amazing. And Norbert Leo Butts is doing his Norbert Leo Butts thing, probably going to win another Tony. But what I am surprised about is the nearly universal praise for Lauren Ambrose as Eliza Doolittle. We'll get to what I thought here in a little bit. But first up, Adam Feldman of Time Out New York gave the show four out of five stars, writing, quote, The musical pulls out all the stops for a raucous production number, Get Me to the Church on Time, which marks the begrudging transformation of Eliza's father from ne'er-do-well to well-to-do. But its default mode is elegance. Sheer is acutely aware to the shifts of balance within both My Fair Lady itself and the way it plays to contemporary audiences. And nowhere is that clearer than in his clever solution to the show's notoriously slippery ending. This, res this revival has devised a way to have its scone and eat it, too. Must have seen a different ending than I did. Uh, Terry Teach out of the Wall Street Journal wrote, quote, If you've been eagerly awaiting for Miss Ambrose to return to the New York stage ever since she stole the show from Susan Strandon nine years ago in Exit the King, you'll be happy to hear that she's a knockout and a wow. It happens that Miss Ambrose is also a classically trained vocalist. I <laughs> and she has no trouble whatsoever putting across Eliza Doolittle's operetta-like musical numbers while her acting is predictably superlative. If you don't see her in another musical as soon as this one closes, something's wrong with Broadway. Matt Winman of AM New York gave the show four stars, writing, quote, The revival has been staged with Shear's familiar style of making a classic feel fresh and dynamic without totally disregarding the original script and score, incorporating superb production values, including a two-story revolving set of Higgins' home, and bringing out layered performances from great actors. Finally, Marilyn Stacio, Stacio from Variety does note Ambrose's vocal limitations, writing, quote, If you've got it, flaunt it. The splendid Beaumont stage at Lincoln Center has made for great 
classic musicals like Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady, and Helmer Bartlett Shear was born to stage him. This jubilant revival is meticulously mounted and entirely welcome, despite the eccentric casting choice of Lauren Ambrose as Eliza Doolittle. Ambrose, a dramatic actress noted for her style and intelligence in shows like Awaken Sing and Exit the King, does not leap to mind as the perfect Eliza. She doesn't even leap to mind as the okay Eliza. It's a triumph of acting that this non-singer manages to sound like a trooper, but the strain shows. I I didn't want to talk about the, the show too much before it actually opened, uh, but I thought the production, James, was wonderful. I thought Lauren Ambrose was so poorly uh, cast in this. I went my theater going companion for that day is a vocal pedagogist, and she was befuddled at um uh, at lauren ambrose's vocals in the show so i don't know if that improved in the two or so weeks before the other critics went and saw it but um it seems like for the most part we don't have the new york times yet but it seems like these reviews are pretty much bordering on raves all right so um new york times it'd be an interesting review to see if it's uh falling in line with the others or if it is uh contrarian and who's our new friend over at vulture uh sarah holder and we have not heard from her yet either yet all right we had some news that hadestown is going to play london before heading to broadway yeah, yesterday morning or overnight, depending on the time zone release, producers announced that Hades Town will make one more stop on its road to Broadway. It'll be a pretty major one, too. Following its New York theater workshop and then Edmonton, Alberta, Canada runs, the show will next set up shop in London and at the National Theater, no less. The show will play the, the National's Olivier Theater from November 2nd through January 26th before moving to New York in 2019. Now, the press release didn't say whether that would be spring 2019, summer 2019, fall of 2019. Uh, but, James, I have to assume that is partially to do with theater availability and how the show plays at its first large theater like the Olivier over at the National. But further information about casting and ticketing for both London and New York will be announced, quote, soon, according to the release. As a refresher, Hades Town is a folky telling of the myth of, of Orpheus and Eurydice written by by Aeneas Mitchell and co-created with director Rachel Chavkin. James, I would be shocked if Patrick Page, Reeve Carney, and Amber Gray all didn't return to the roles they played in previous productions. Uh, Page and Gray have been in both productions. Carney joined for Edmonton. I am really, really excited for this one, James, as I've talked about before. So I'm, I'm hoping it gets here sooner rather than later. But it's been interesting to kind of watch this show progress. It was originally done in the round at New York Theater Workshop, very immersive. Then when they went to the Citadel in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, it became more of a uh, proscenium show, but it's not a huge theater. The Olivier over in the National has an interesting configuration, but it is a bigger space, something more in line with what a Broadway house would be. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they play it like a proscenium or try to incorporate some sort of onstage seating or some sort of immersive interactive element like Chavkin did with Great Comet, because I think that will be the recipe that they bring to Broadway whenever they do make it back to New York. So uh, Patrick posted on Facebook that uh... – he was finally he was very excited to finally be able to let the cat out of the bag. He's known for a little oh. bit of, a little bit of uh, time that it was heading to London and that uh, one of his goals in life was to uh, play on that stage where Laurence Olivier played and it's going to be 
checked off of his bucket list. So, so, so it's safe to say he's going with it. <laughs> yes. So that's what I'm getting at. I'm glad you you, yes. you boiled that down very. Yeah. <laughs> I buried the lead there. I mean, that would really suck if he had to audition and didn't get the job after saying that was one of his dreams. But yeah, you know, I think we're safe with him. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got that voice, and uh, and it's so great that we're not going to screw up the geography of Canada. But give us some time. We'll screw up the geography of London. There is a London in Canada, though, I believe. Yes. So uh, we can screw that up, too. All right. Let's be honest. We can screw up just about anything. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, there, there was something this morning on NPR that was uh, they, they, they owned up to a big mistake, but I can't remember what it was. And I was like, see that? Even NPR makes big, huge mistakes. Oh, I hear all the time and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We're not alone. No. All right, Matt, we've got the beat and reviews for Head Over Heels in San Francisco. Oh, we've got the beat. That's what that was referencing. Anyway, yes, Broadway-bound musical Head Over Heels, which infuses the music of the Go-Go's into Philip Sidney's 16th century epic poem, Arcadia, officially opened at the Curran Theater in San Francisco earlier this week. Directed by Michael Mayer, the show stars Andre Durand, Taylor Amon Jones, Jeremy Kushner, Bonnie Milligan, Peppermint, Tom Allen Robbins, Alexandra Soka, and Rachel York. Now, uh, I have been a little hard on this show, more for the producer behind it than anything else but as we've learned more about the show and the production james especially as we learned who the cast was going to be i've begun to kind of have a soft spot for it and actually to start rooting for it and now based on the two early reviews that we have it looks like the show needs some work but there are things there to be excited about the show opened on wednesday night but because they only had a week of previews critics weren't actually invited to attend until opening night so that's why we only have two reviews more will presumably come out in the next day or so but let's get into these two real quick. Ter- uh, Karen D'Souza of the San Jose Mercury News said, quote, in its out-of-town tryout at San Francisco's Curran Theater before bopping onto Broadway, this is a hot mess shot through with moments of guilty pleasure, glitter, and nostalgia for the tubular days of yore. She continues, this kitschy musical blasts you back to the age of rad and its totally awesome opening number, We Got the Beat. Then she adds, quote, alas, that cheesy state of bliss is soon interrupted by a narrative that doesn't flow, songs that seem out of place and some slack pacing. She does end up saying, quote, the most beautiful moments come out of real feeling instead of camp. When the shepherd sings mad about you extremely awkwardly to the princess and you can feel the genuine core of the lyrics at its and it's quite moving. Likewise, when the princess sings a pian uh, to her lost love and here you are, the musical transcends its jumbled genres to make us actually feel something. Lily Janiak of the San Francisco Chronicle said some similar things, writing, quote, the characters in Head Over Heels might be silly, eyeballs darting wildly back and forth. And but paradoxically, that silliness needs to be grounded in watertight logic to register. You can't, in scene six, say, insist that a pair are crazy about each other when in the preceding five scenes they've communicated only mild exacerbation uh, uh, with one another or worse, total apathy. Finally, she closes with something that I think, James, you're going to enjoy. She says, quote, if the caliber of singing varies, Alexandra Soka's voice spins gold, especially on the lesser known Go-Go's song Good Girls. 
and Rachel York's weathered rock star timber with a yowl waiting to erupt from every note is so perfect for the material you wish she had more numbers. But even with little stage time, she proves what fans already knew, that the Go-Go's music was ripe for musical theater. So, James, it sounds like they've got some work to do with this show, um, but that there are the makings for an enjoyable musical there. But the problem is, is that they don't have a ton of time to make those changes before it gets to Broadway. They have a few more weeks out in San Francisco, but then previews start at the Hudson Theater in New York on June 23rd. So it's starting previews in New York in like two months. So if they're going to make any sort of significant changes, they're going to have to do it in San Francisco and then quickly before rehearsals start. Well, I think that my new favorite um, theater reviewer is Lily Janiak. <laughs> Anybody she seems who... to be very, very smart. She's she's very astute. Yes, very, very, very much so. You know, insightful. I really <laughs> appreciate what she said there. Hey, you know, we had a Broadway radio reviewer out there, right? Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Our Jen friend Rubin. Jennifer Rubin. Yeah, she went and saw it uh, over the weekend, and she had, she seemed to say some of the similar things. She really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Needs some work, but uh, a lot of fun and a great cast. Yeah, she said we had a great time at Head Over Heels. Did it change my life? No. Will I remember it in a few years? Maybe not. But it was a fun afternoon at the theater. The plot is completely bonkers, but in the best way. So uh, I'm really excited to. Uh, it's a yeah. great, great synopsis that Jen sent over to us of what was going on there, uh, and uh, and so you know, I'm excited to see Head Over Heels, and uh, and you know, I totally forgot that Rachel York was in it. That's that's a bonus too. <laughs> no, you didn't. You know exactly how many. It's like 65 days till she's back on Broadway. <laughs> Counting down. Stop it. <laughs> how can you see that countdown? Oh, I thought this was just audio. No. All right. Uh, what do we have in the recommendation section? All right. Two things real quick since we dove into a couple different reviews. First up, Vulture has a uh, a really cool article by Rachel Handler that's talking with Mandy Patinkin and his wife, Catherine Grody, um, who's a, also an actress and a writer. And it really talks not necessarily about their careers, although it does dive into that, but it talks about their 40th uh, anniversary and their shared love for activism and their Jewish faith. Um, it, it's, it's a really cool article. They recently returned from Uganda. If you follow Mandy Patinkin on social media like I do, you saw some of the things that they did with the International Rescue Committee and the American Jewish World Service over there. Um, so really cool. It, you know, Mandy's got this reputation of being a hothead and causing problems for people, but he really is one of the most passionate people, both in terms of art and activism. So check that out. And then also just want to throw this out there. Uh, time magazine released their 100 most influential people, uh, yesterday. And there are two theater ish names that are uh, involved. Both Hugh Jackman and Sonia Friedman made the list. There are some others that have some theater connections like Nicole Kidman and Jennifer Lopez of the ne'er to be seen. Uh, bye bye, Birdie Live. Um, uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish was one of them as well. Someone who uh, I, I think is going to be a huge star here very soon. So, if you want to check out that full list, we will have the link in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. All right, Matt, what did we miss today? All right. In other news, here are some headlines that didn't make it into the main part of the show, but we wanted to make sure that you were aware of. On Friday or on Thursday, sorry, uh, we learned that the Broadway musical Bandstand will be screened via Fathom Events in movie theaters across the country on June 25th of this year. So if you miss a chance to see it in New York, you can now see it in a movie theater near you. Now, tonight, 
Speaking of on screen, PBS will begin its four weeks of Broadway stars on live from Lincoln Center. Tonight is a concert from Sutton Foster with special guests, including Jonathan Groff. Next week is Leslie Odom Jr., followed by Stephanie J. Block. And then finally, Andrew Rannells. Check your local listings for time and station in your area. Now, this was a late one, James. This came in uh, not too long before we started recording, and it's one of the weirdest announcements I've seen recently. But last night it was announced that Sierra Bogus, yes, that redhead Sierra Bogus, has been cast as Maria in an upcoming Royal Albert Hall concert production of not The Sound of Music, but of West Side Story as part of the Proms 2018 concert series. Is she playing Nardo? No, she's playing Maria. (laughs) <laughs> playing Maria. The social media reaction to this has been quite deafening. And as we recorded about 948 PM, I would not be surprised if by the time this episode actually drops, if we didn't have a press release backtracking and apologizing, uh, I love Sierra, but no. And finally, yesterday, the public theater announced that it was extending Lynn Nottage's uh, Lima's tale for an additional two weeks. The show will now run through June 3rd. If you would like more information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. All right. Just as we're wrapping up, uh, Jesse Green in The New York Times dropped his review of My Fair Lady. So, Matt, what does he say? Well, first off, he's saying he doesn't care about our time schedule of recording. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Yeah, um, but of, I know. Seriously. A little more consideration for your fellow theater journalists. Anyway, uh, Jesse Green says, quote, the plush and thrilling Lincoln Center Theater revival of Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady that opened on Thursday at the Vivian Beaumont Theater reveals Eliza Doolittle as a hero instead of a puppet and reveals the musical, despite its providence and male authorship, is an urtext of the hashtag MeToo movement. Indeed, that moment has made My Fair Lady, which had its Broadway premiere in 1956, better than it ever was. It was always good, of course. One of the gleaming artifacts facts and loveliest scores of the golden age of American musical theater, a canon now being contested with cause for its unenlightened sexual politics. He also goes off to, again, show that I have no eye or ear for critical uh, examination of theater by saying, quote, so was Lauren Ambrose as a feral and then luminous Eliza. At first, Miss Ambrose concentrate, concentrates perhaps too hard on Eliza's unlikeliness as the subject of a bet between Higgins and his friend Colonel Pickering. She squints and lumbers and makes hay of the billowous pigeon sounds that drive Higgins to, to distraction. But she is also laying the groundwork for our understanding that Eliza is as powerful a woman as her circumstances permit. He goes on to talk about uh, the fact that, quote, the big revelation of this production is that Miss Ambrose has a stirring voice, lustrous and rich, if without the bright ping of most Eliza's. That turns out to be an advantage. She delivers her first number, wouldn't it be loverly, very quietly and with an intense longing that digs beneath its surface charm to find its stillness and steel. So, again, I saw this three weeks ago. Perhaps quite a bit has changed or perhaps or perhaps I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Both or one or the other are very quite possible, James. <laughs> uh, but we know how much I love My Fair Lady. It's the, the the musical that started everything for me. So it's hard for me to be upset about a, about a production of this uh, really important show in my life getting rave reviews. All right. Get us out of here. All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMet. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us. And uh, thanks to Jen Rubin for sending in that review. And Matt and I will talk to you on Monday. 